How well do you know Jesus? Let me repeat that. How well do you know Jesus? I want you to think about that question as I relate a true story to you. Gustav Dorr, a world-famous illustrator and painter, and one of the incredible talents behind the DreamWorks film studio created by Steven Spielberg, was once given a painting of Jesus by one of his students. He thought long and hard about how to respond to that gift, for he wanted to say the right thing that would both show his gratitude and encourage his talented student. Finally, he gave the painting back to the student with this comment. If you loved him more, you would have painted him better. If you loved him more, you would have painted him better. Now I want you to think of that critique as we consider the lesson from the Gospel of John we heard read to us just now. You also need to know that what we heard is actually just a small portion of a much longer prayer by Jesus. Scripture scholars refer to chapter 17 of John's Gospel as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And even more interesting, it is believed to be the actual prayer Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was arrested by the temple guard. When you take the time to thoughtfully read this chapter, you hear Jesus praying not only for himself as he is about to face a brutal trial and a bloody death, but he also prays for his disciples who are about to be severely tried in their faith. And then he prays for all humankind down through the centuries, people like you and people like me, who will receive the gospel through the testimonies of others and strive to truly know Jesus so we can love him and serve him. So what are we to learn from these three specific prayers that Jesus prays on the night of his betrayal? What is Jesus saying to us about himself? What is Jesus saying to us about his disciples? And what is Jesus saying about us and his desire to enter into a personal relationship with us in the here and now? First of all, what is Jesus telling us about himself? He's saying the very same thing he said to his disciples from the beginning of his public ministry, which he shared with them. He is declaring that he is God. I and the Father are one. 
When you see me, you see the Father. I am not a mere prophet speaking the words that God gave me to say. No, much more than that. I am the very word of God. I am God. And I have come into the world for this very moment. The time has come for me to be glorified. Jesus also says that beside being God, he's human, possessing the full nature of humankind, possessing the emotion of humankind, knowing fear, feeling pain, subject to temptation, like us in every way, yet without sin. Jesus began his public life in the desert, being tempted by Satan. Several times in his public ministry, he was tempted to find an easier way to save mankind that would not involve his suffering and death on a cross. Each time, Jesus resisted that temptation. Now in the garden, he again experiences the temptation to find an easier way. But as recorded by each of the evangelists, he overcomes the temptation by praying, but not my will, but thy will be done surrendering himself and his will to that of his Father. Next, Jesus prays for his disciples who have faithfully followed him during the three years of his public ministry, right up to this time of his betrayal and arrest. Jesus had been their teacher and leader and friend and protector throughout that time. But now his work on earth was drawing to a close and they would be left to carry on the work he had taught them. Listen to the words he now prays for his followers. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus knew that Satan's unsuccessful wrath against him would now be turned full force against his disciples. Just as Satan had tempted Jesus to turn against the exacting will of his father and accept the compromising easy road to a meaningless salvation offered by Satan, so his disciples would also face the same temptations. So Jesus prayed that they would be faithful as he was faithful. Not their wills, but God's will to be done. 
And such was the reality of the church's struggle throughout that first century. Before the end of that 65-year period, all of the apostles to whom Jesus had entrusted the leadership of his church were dead, having been brutally martyred along with many other disciples of Jesus rather than compromise the authentic teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All, that is, except one. John would survive as the last living eyewitness to the earthly ministry of Jesus. And he would provide us with a written account of his witness in the theological gospel that bears his name and from which we hear today's message. The other three evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each gave us an account of Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and each relates the essence of Jesus' prayer, which is not my will, but thy will be done. But only John gives us the full account of Jesus' prayer for himself, for his disciples, and for all of humankind. All four gospel accounts tell us that when Jesus and his apostles reached the garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives, he instructed the apostles to wait at a distance while he invited Peter and James and John to venture further into the garden, keeping watch with him as he prayed. The account also says that the apostles grew weary and began falling asleep. Perhaps John, who was only a teenager at the time, did not grow as weary as did his older counterparts. Perhaps in the eagerness and alertness of youth, he remained awake enough to hear and recall much more of Jesus' prayer. At any rate, the Holy Spirit has inspired him to recall and to relate to us these dramatic words of Jesus in his gospel account. Just 10 days after Jesus' prayer for all of humankind, John records a second event in which Jesus alludes to his prayer for humankind. It was in the upper room on the second Sunday after Easter. The apostle Thomas, who was not present on Easter Sunday night when the risen Lord first appeared to his apostles and had refused to believe that Jesus had actually risen from the dead, until he could see Jesus for himself. When Thomas did indeed see Jesus for himself, he humbly fell to his knees and declared Jesus to be his risen Lord. And Jesus immediately said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed after which Jesus did a very remarkable and very dramatic thing. In his divine power, which transcends time and space, 
he looked down through the centuries and he saw the faces of all humankind who would come to faith in future ages. And among those faces, he saw yours. And he saw mine. And he spoke this blessing over us. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet have believed. You and I have not seen the risen Christ in the upper room. But in our lifetime, we have seen Jesus. And that is why we are believers. We saw him in the love of a parent. We saw him in the forgiveness of a spouse. We saw him in the patience of a teacher. We saw him in the compassion of a friend. And because we have seen him, Jesus asks us to show him to others by the way we treat them. To do this, Jesus invites us into a relationship with him that is far more than a slogan slapped on a billboard or a cliche we cough up when others expect us to say something Christian. In practical terms, such a relationship with him who prayed for our protection and who promised us his presence turns a deaf ear to gossip, refuses to sit in judgment on the failures of others, and dares to offer the great pearl of great price, uncommon grace. Gustav Dorr spoke the gospel truth for all of us when he evaluated his students' painting. If we love Jesus more, we will constantly strive to portray him better. The world into which the risen Christ sends us is dying for a glimpse of love's painting brushed on the canvas of our lives. In chapter 12 of this same gospel narrative of John, he records an event in which some Greeks who were in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration came to the apostle Philip, whom they recognized as a follower of Jesus and to whom they made the simple but meaningful request. Sir, they said to him, we would like to see Jesus. If you cup your ear and listen, oh, so carefully, you can still hear that request echoing down the corridors of time. But now, that ancient request is directed not to Philip, but to you. Show us Jesus. 
Sir, show us Jesus. Madam, show us Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.